0: Hey, welcome back to our podcast, Sermon Notes, from Fellowship Fayetteville, where we're talking about the passage each week that we're studying together as a church as we work our way through the book of 1 Timothy. My name's Michael. And I'm Garland. We're here with Josh, our producer. and today, Garland, we're going to talk about First Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse twelve and going all the way to the end of the chapter. Um, what are we getting into? What's this
1: passage talking about? Yeah, so as we as we continue studying this letter, uh, what we saw last week, saw in the fir- the first part of the letter, was uh, Paul introduces this idea uh, that we want to we need to be on guard for what he calls uh, other teaching, um, and so we're we're on the lookout for this uh, other teaching, and uh, we we looked at that last week, and you're going to see at the end of the passage, we we it's almost like we get some insight into who even. is who's bringing this other teaching. He actually names two people in verse 20. And so, uh, which that'd be kind of odd if you were in a, if you were sitting in a church and somebody named you from the front and said, those two, these two, um, so if you think about it, Paul's trying to warn Timothy to reject false doctrine, reject false teaching, and uh, it's almost like he gets a little bit of uh, he gets a little sidetracked. And in typical Paul fashion, the thing that sidetracks Paul in his letters more than anything else is if he mentions Jesus or God or grace, it's like he almost can't help himself. And uh, a lot of scholars think at the end of verse eleven, he says that conforms to the gospel, this message about Jesus as Israel's Messiah and the world's true king concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted that to me. And that begins a perfect little off ramp for Paul to just kind of reflect and riff on that uh, for a handful of verses. So uh, if you look at verse 12, it's like he he says, I just got to stop real fast. Just say, by the way, I thank Christ. He's the king. He's uh, Jesus is the Christ he's the Lord and he tells a story and so uh, at this on this particular sermon this Sunday morning we're going to talk a lot about uh, what it looks like to have the the grace of God intersect our lives and change our lives our individual stories and how uh, that's why we're all here that's why we celebrate Jesus and so we're going to talk a lot about our story this week. And then in verse 18, it's as if he picks back up uh, that instruction to Timothy. And so uh, interestingly enough, how does one, I think Paul's logic would go something like this. How do you avoid shipwreck in your faith? Well, you have to simmer constantly on your story, simmer constantly on uh, the grace of Jesus. Go back to that over and over and over again. That's just really instructive, I think, for us. That's kind of be where we're going in the passage this week.
0: Yeah, how would you like to be the guy who gets your name in the Bible, but it's because, because you of that. shipwrecked your faith. Poor Hymenaeus yep, and Alexander. he gone down yeah. for the last 2,000 years as an example of what not to Losers. do. So part of the idea of this podcast every week, Garland, is there's always some things that we wish we could talk about on Sunday morning, and we just don't have the time and space to do it. So what are some things that you encountered in your study um, that if you were going to teach for an hour, you might might work in there that would be interesting to us?
1: Oh, there's one that I really wanted to, to spend some time on uh, in the sermon, but I think it's going to end up getting uh, getting cut. It'll be really, really short. And it's this concept of uh, grace or the concept of the gift. It's actually in two places. The The Greek word is, is the, the Greek word charis. We're seeing people name their kids that now. It just means grace. Uh, so charis is... Um, the, the idea of, of that word really is a uh, gift. It's the root of our word for uh, charismatic. Uh, and so it's a gifted person. Somebody has... Has some gifts, usually in our context of like a uh, public speaking or something. The same idea for charisma. Uh, the concept of a gift. Um, there is a scholar named John Barclay, and he did uh, a long, long series of work uh, uh, on this particular Greek word and how it functions in the Greek culture. And I think we get some really cool insight into it right here, verse twelve. Paul said, the NIV translates this as I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I think most translations will do that. But, uh, the, the word that Paul uses here is I have a gift. Um, I have a gift to give back to Jesus and the other, the other time it's used in this passage is in verse 14, right there, the gift, the charis of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly. And here's the, maybe here's the point that I just thought was so interesting. The nature of, of being a recipient of this charis of Jesus, the natural response to that. In fact, we might say the necessary response to that gift of Jesus and his grace towards us is to respond by saying, my, my life now, everything I've got is now which is a gift back to you. And so, uh, the translation taking that as I think it, it, I, I get why they're doing that. Uh, but I actually think it, we missed that beautiful picture. We've received the gift from Jesus of his mercy and grace See what he calls here, his mercy in verse 14 or verse 13, his patience His perfect patience in verse 16, and the natural response of somebody who has tasted that gift, has received it, has experienced it, is to turn around and say, now my life is a gift back uh, to you. I have I have a gift for Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's the one who's given me strength. Um, and just that that concept of what charis is, what grace is, uh, i just been simmering on that, these two little verses for the last couple of weeks, but I won't have time, I don't think, to say what we just said here. And so, uh, yeah, it's worth, I think it's just worth pausing and thinking about.
0: Yeah. I love how you frame that up because oftentimes we refer to the free gift of grace that's offered to us in Mm -hmm. salvation Mm -hmm. available in Christ Jesus. And to think that, man, that's, that phrase is loaded with a lot more meaning maybe than we even realize when we say that. Mm -hmm. So Paul this, this discussion of grace, his gratitude, you mentioned it's couched in his story. How's Paul
1: using his story? What's the deal with Paul's story being part of this passage? It's interesting. Paul loves, loves to tell his story. Like go read, uh, the book of Acts, go read Paul's letters. It's like, he can't help it. And, uh, just as a total aside, I think that should be, uh, how we are. Like I was talking with a, a guy yesterday at a coffee shop and uh, I, I, said, he, I said, tell me your story. And uh, he did. And as he was sharing it, like I just said, man, I love hearing that story. Lord, the Lord has just changed his life this past summer. And uh, I said, dude, never get tired of that. He was like, I, I don't know how I could. I was like, never get tired of that. Like tell that story. Cause I've been telling everybody. I'm like, yeah, And I think there's something that we're learning from Paul even. He can't help himself, but go back. And what a story he has. Here he calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a hubristes is this last word, a hubristes, a violent man. Um, And what we know from Paul's story is he was passionately zealous for the covenant God of Israel, for Yahweh. Uh, As a Pharisee, he was under the, the impression that the nation had gone into exile because of their sin, because of their idolatry. Just go read your old Testament. It'll take a while. Uh, and as a result, the the way to have their kingdom restored to them, the way to get God back with them would be passionate obedience, zealous obedience to God's law. And the Pharisees were so passionate about it. They didn't just want the priests to act this way. They wanted all the people uh, to, to, Essentially, adopt almost priestly, a priestly way of living. And he was so passionate and zealous about this that in other places he says, I, I followed the law as well as anybody. Um, but what he had missed in, in his passion, and his zeal was that God had provided the answer in Jesus. And as Paul, I think reflects back on his story of how he had missed Jesus, he had missed the Messiah in his zeal to trying to get the Messiah to come. Uh, and then his life got changed, Acts chapter 9. And if you just want insight into more of Paul's story, if you're going to share some of Paul's story in your small group, go look at Acts chapter 9, Galatians 1 and 2. And then in the speeches that Paul gives in Acts uh, 22 and following, he goes back to a story over and over and over again. And just go kind of take a little uh, a look at his story, remind yourself of it. Uh, he was an active persecutor of this thing called the way of Jesus. And then God changed his life. And I think one of the things Paul is constantly simmering on is if God could, if, if God could rescue me and what I've done, man, who, who, who is, who's incapable of being rescued Then, And, uh, uh, I just love his attitude on that. He's in verse 15. He says, man, I am the worst of sinners. And, uh, I don't think he's being hyperbolic. I think he's genuinely reflected on the nature of his heart apart from the Messiah, Jesus, and now the nature of the mercy being shown to him. And that's a man, what a posture for all of us to take. Uh, Tim Keller, I know says it this way frequently. Uh, The message of the new Testament is that I am more broken and simple than I could have imagined, but uh, I am more valued and loved in Jesus than I could have dared dream. And I think Paul Paul gets that. Um, and if you haven't, you know, if you and I or somebody listening to this hasn't reflected on that in a while, just have a quiet time this week and just reflect on that idea as you study this passage.
0: Man, that's a great word, Garland. I love what you said about the power of our story. You know, over the years, I've had a lot of people, I'll, I'll meet them and I'll say, hey, tell me about how you came to know the Lord. Tell me your spiritual story. And they'll say, well, it's kind of boring. Right. And I always tell them the same thing. No, it's not because you were dead and now you're alive. You were a spiritual orphan, and now you have been adopted into the family of the king. And so for anybody listening who thinks, well, Paul's story is spectacular. My story is boring. There is no boring story that involves Jesus intersecting the life of a broken, sinful person, including you and me.
1: And so, yeah. I- and think about it. it so people that say that all the time, it's like, well, I was like six years old in my, in my dad's room. And I pre- I'm like, th- think about what you're saying glory of God intersected you at six and was powerful enough and yet accessible enough to, for you to see it. That's not boring. That's amazing. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's a great word. So I'm not going to let you off the hook
0: into the passage. The last verse we already mentioned Hymenaeus and Alexander. Paul says that he has handed them over to Satan so they may be taught not to blaspheme. What in the world do we do with that verse? <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, I. It's a tough one. We don't. I'm not even going to get to address it in the sermon because we just r- we're going to run out of time. Um, what What is this handing over to Satan? Uh, well, first and foremost, when we talk about uh, the realm of Satan or handing somebody over to Satan, I think what Paul has in mind is uh, handing them over to the to. That group or that power that is outside of the covenant family of God, outside of the church, um, and so he'll talk about in Ephesians two uh, the prince of the power of the air. He's ruling in this age, and so when Paul says hand them over to Satan, I don't think he has some strange, uh, you know, kind of one on one. He goes to Satan right now, and Satan kind of torments him. I think what he means is handing them over to to be outside of the covenant community, and what that means is you're handing him back to the culture where Satan reigns, where Satan rules, and uh, we. See See that same idea in Revelation chapter two, where Satan has his throne. Uh, and so this is not the only time that Paul does this. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter five, what Paul uh Paul's gonna address uh a particularly what word do we want to use here uh, vile example in his culture there or in the in the church there in Corinth of uh, somebody in sexual sin and he's gonna say the very same thing uh, there if you wouldn't mind read for me first uh, Corinthians five because I think I think we get a little bit more kind of insight here I know you're turning I didn't give you any heads up on that <laughs> so he's turning right now first uh, Corinthians five and start in verse um, well let's just go uh, <laughs> I, I, I always want to get all the context, but read four and five for me.
0: Yeah, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are deliver you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh,
1: so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So we have a, this person, uh, we, we get an idea here of what he's doing. He's sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, and Paul says, cast this one, when you gather, um, take this one and remove him from the gathering, uh, remove him from the gathered assembly of this thing called the, the called out ones, the church. But we get, I think, more insight here. It's so that um, this fleshly desire, this fleshly part of this person would be pruned, we might say, and we get a so that. This is a, this passage, I think, helps make sense of the first Timothy one. We get a so that, so that his spirit might be pruned uh, rescued or delivered, or the NIV translates it as saved, that this person might be handed over to be purified. And we might say in English, we might say just learn the error of his ways and want to come back. And so when Paul enters into what we might call church discipline or whatever words we want to use here, he always has a view to restoration uh, on the other side. We see the same thing in 2 Corinthians. He always has a view with uh, restoring that person. But we do get pretty strong language from Paul to say, you can't allow someone somebody who's just blatantly walking in sin, who's walking in false doctrine to hang out in the called out church. Uh, That has the reason I'm not, I don't have time to touch on it. The sermon is that would become the sermon. Uh, And so, there are significant implications for this in how churches handle this. We're seeing a lot of horror stories of how ch- some churches handle this, uh, and so uh, at Fellowship we we have our process of what this looks like. But I think that's what Paul has in mind, and how churches work that out. Uh, there's a lot of opinions on that, and uh, any any comment you want to add? No, I just
0: I appreciate you bringing out the fact that the goal is always restoration, and so at Fellowship we do practice church discipline. It involves our elder board. It's for people who are walking in public. Unrepentant sin. Uh, but the goal is never punitive. It's never to punish someone. It's to have them restored to their walk with Christ and to repair relational damage that's done by those types of sins. I do think in this passage, Um, The implication of handing them over to Satan is uh, to let them experience the natural consequences, we might say. You know, sometimes we think when we think of these kind of things, we think in terms of eternity. I think Paul is thinking they're going to um, experience the natural result of whatever the sins are
1: that they're experiencing right now. And the goal being that they will repent and return to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And in First Timothy, what he says here is he gives us a so that in First Timothy he says so that they might be they might be taught not to blaspheme this false doctrine that they're uh, carrying. Paul says we can't that teaching is not in line with uh, with our scriptures, and we can't just be willy nilly about that. And uh, that there's a lesson there for us, I think, uh, in the culture that we live in, where um, you know we. Have a hard time defining truth. Do we believe in truth? Can we find meaning? Uh, the New Testament's going to not not let us off that easy. And yeah, this does create some tension, I think, uh, for us in our modern world.
0: So for those of you who are going to be looking at this passage together in the context of a small group, I hope you'll take the opportunity to share your story and um, maybe the, the short version of your story and invite others in the group to do the same. And of course, if you have someone there who feels like they don't have a spiritual story, they don't have a moment where the radical grace of Jesus Christ has encountered, uh, they had an encounter with his grace, it's intersected their life, Um, then that's a great opportunity to take them out to coffee and tell them um, the good news that Jesus wants to offer them this gift that Paul has referred to and, and, Garland has highlighted for us. Garland, thanks for sharing some thoughts with us today. Um, again, this is our sermon notes podcast. We hope it's helpful for you as you study the passage, as you prepare to meet in community groups and other small groups and talk about the passage. And next week we'll press into first Timothy chapter two. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining us.